how to start. Well, you know, it's just writing. I mean, here's something important to remember about dialogue. Every word matters. No, it doesn't. They're modern. I want to go to this place that I think it needs to go to. The only thing that counts is what you see on the screen. I will write like four or five, six hours a day. And it will be a voice made of ink and rage. Okay, I'm, re I'm really glad you asked me that question. Welcome to Creative Principles. I'm your host, Brock Swinson. In this podcast, I'll be speaking with writers, directors, actors, musicians, and more, where we'll be discussing the habits, routines, and methods of a creative life. This episode is brought to you by FreelancerClass.com. At FreelancerClass, you can learn how to become a freelancer full-time or part-time. The online course will teach you how to make money as a writer, marketer, graphic designer, virtual assistant, or an accountant from the comfort of your own home. Make a little extra money or replace your income at FreelancerClass.com. Author Jill Chamberlain tells us about her book, The Nutshell Technique. Specifically, she dives into story versus situation, the importance of studying movies, infinite possibilities within restraints, difficult choices in storytelling, the writer's secret, and what's wrong with 99% of failed screenplays. You can find the book, The Nutshell Technique, on Amazon. The charts we discussed in this interview, as well as the full transcription, can be found on creativescreenwriting.com by searching for Nutshell or Jill Chamberlain. Well, I was a frustrated screenwriter. Um, I studied um, screenwriting with some very good people in New York City, where I lived for almost 20 years. And I still found myself blocked as a writer. I still, uh, uh, I, I had, I would get a, a, a comment that, um, that my work was a situation, but not a story. But no one could explain to me what that meant. <laughs> so that was kind of the comment. And, and later I would discover in my work as a script consultant that it is a chronic problem. Uh, that I would say 99% of first-time screenwriters fail to tell a story. <clears throat> that they instead present a situation. Um, and, uh, and another way that Aristotle kind of um, referred to a similar phenomena, where, where, uh, which he called, he used the word episodic, that, that instead of situational, that the inferior stories were episodic. You know, uh, a story is not this happens, then this happens, then this happens. That's life. Life is right. this happens, then this happens. A story is not that. A story is this happens, which leads to that happening, which results in this happening. Um, and anyway, so uh, I kind of set out partially out of my own, uh, largely out of my own frustration and um probably also as a procrastination technique, I started analyzing movies um, and put together, it took a while, uh, but uh, I watched, uh, studied 100 or so movies, um, <clears throat> put together the system that is the basis of the nutshell technique, where I'm looking at eight critical story elements, and some of these are, they're not, none of these, well, I shouldn't say none, um, 
some of the elements will be familiar to people who've read other books, the concept of the flaw, um, uh, other pieces. But I think what's unique about my method is showing this interconnected, this interdependency between these eight parts that I, I don't know any method that does anything close to that. And, and, and that is at the heart of it, the key to writing a true story and not uh, a situation is this interconnectedness between these eight elements, not just the not just the eight elements. So that's what makes it quite different than, for example, the, uh, a lot of the beat um, sheet kind of methods that are out there that are kind of um, have a pre-prescribed uh, beats that you're supposed to hit, um, but they they do don't among other issues they don't deal at all with the fact that there are there's an interconnected relationship between certain moments and certain story elements. And these beat sheet methods don't even, they don't, they don't touch on that at all. And, and as a result, you can read lots of screenwriting books and lots of beat sheet methods, and you will still end up with writing a situation and not a story Mm -hmm. because no one's teaching it. So, so anyway, that's kind of how I ended up founding. um, I, I kind of, um, when I put this together, rather glibly wrote on a on the on the one page schematic uh, that it's a screenplay in a nutshell, and uh, the name sort of stuck, and uh, uh, that is sort of the cornerstone to of the uh, writing workshop that I teach, among other techniques, but uh, and other elements that uh, are part of the screenwriting craft. But the, the most important one is I want to make sure that people are, are, are telling a story and not just presenting a situation. Um, it, a lot of time is wasted and there are a lot of 100, you know, people have perfectly formatted 120 page screenplays and, and they might have some interesting characters here and there and they might have yeah. some interesting plot elements, but 99% of them are failing to tell a story. So let's, let's fix that right up front and we can do that with a one page schematic. You know, I don't need to read your, you know, waste your time and mine by reading your 120-page screenplay. Um, I'd rather you work with me first and use this diagram and make sure your story's working before you even get started or before you share it with other people, because it's a real pain to fix afterwards, and and um, and that's where a good 99% of writers are. Mm-hmm. Does the story versus situation your experience? Does some of that fall upon um, especially young writers trying to recapture personal stories. A, a lot of times I'll ask if, if it's more difficult to cut scenes and that kind of thing. I imagine it may be more difficult to develop the story versus the situation when it's personal as well. It, it is. Um, there are plenty of people who are not doing personal stories who have the problem, but it is a an you you are even more likely if you're doing a personal story to have the problem. If that makes okay. sense. Uh-huh. You know that um, life again is not a story. Life is not a story, and there are lots of great movies based on true life stories. But if you look in the credits, even they, even those movies say this is a work of fiction. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, unless we're watching a real time two hour interview with somebody, um, uh, you are going to make choices when you convert a real story into uh, a, a true life story into. Uh, a film's story, and you, um, and, and so you're gonna. So I, I, people who are basing something on something in their life 
are can sometimes be very attached to the facts as they were, um, keeping in mind that or not keeping in mind that again we're not watching a two-hour document, even a documentary, right? Not typically in real time. You know, um, we're we're watching it's edited. It, moments are chosen and shaped. Um, and so when I have a, a lot of people want to base stuff on stuff that's happened to them or, or something, you know, a, a good percentage. And, and they, uh, I, I, I think this, I mean, it, the method applies just the same for completely fictional stories. You, in either case, you need these elements, but it can be a little harder sometimes for people to hear. Um, it, you know, and it's, you know, this is what really happened. Well, again, we're not watching it happen in real time. You're going to have to make choices anyway. You're choosing anyway what you're going to show and, and, um, and put in your script. Um, why not find the ones that, that, uh, the elements that are going to bring out the strongest, most, you know, um, satisfying story and not just be a situation where I'm watching and and audiences can tell that they can you know or readers can feel that this is situational this is not why why am i why do i care about this person mm-hmm. they're not gonna if it's if the story elements aren't lining up mm-hmm. does that answer your question yes yeah um you, you mentioned um of those people who may have more of a situation that even when they write the perfect 120 page story um a lot of them are sticking to the standardized like sid field method of uh, a three-act structure. Um, one thing you mentioned in the book is a little different is dividing uh, comedies and, and then comedies versus tragedies. Can you elaborate a little bit on that and, and why you choose to do it that way and how it shapes the story? Um, well, first of all, I have to give credit to Aristotle, again, you know, he, and, and also blame it, <laughs> that, that those are his definitions, not mine, um, as far as the division between comedy and uh, uh tragedy um and and actually if you look at the antiquated if you look at the poetics he actually had two other forms of drama that are no longer in existence they're, they they were very specific to ancient greek culture but comedy and tragedy have existed and and i bring up i bring up aristotle, aristotle not just to blame him um but because <laughs> um because I, I first of all i find it incredibly useful um and that that it's not just me discovering, you know, uh, that or, or claiming to discover that I've, I've discovered Aristotle's work. That the, you know, his uh, the Poetics is one of the best books you'll find on on uh, screenwriting, on dramatic writing. Book, you know, which uh, and and I'm not the only person in the world to say that. I think anybody who who uh, is worth their salt um, would give some credit to Aristotle. But the basic of dramatic structure. Um, that ninety percent of it comes from Aristotle's poetics. So that that um, that division is, and frankly, that was the way that was what I was taught, uh, what I learned when I studied at Columbia University and when I studied in um, writing pro- programs in New York, in New York City. Um, uh, to and that I had never particularly, except for maybe in like high school or something, I, I hadn't. Uh, use those definitions before, but once I did, it kind of it just it turns a light bulb on, and it's just I, I can't help but divide stories that way. Um, it, I mean, it gets a, it, it's a little getting used to people, you know, just to remind people that 
comedy does not mean ha ha comedy um, necessarily. That uh, you know some of the uh, movies that you find in the romantic comedy section are structurally Aristotelian tragedies, actually. Um, so it takes a little getting used to, particularly with my students, like the first class. <laughs> Everyone uh, is uh, adjusting to this new definition of comedy that we're not talking about the genre of comedy. Um, but but once you sort of adjust to, to it, it's really useful. Um, and so I yeah I kind of I couldn't even get started without getting those definitions out of the way. And it really is it just is a key to structure too. In kind of related is that there's the understanding that there's one protagonist ultimately, even if it's an ensemble picture, um, that ultimately only one character. And this is, by the way, the writer's secret, or can be the writer's secret. The audience does not have to know this or perceive mm-hmm. this. They can think it's an ensemble picture and everybody's got equal time. It's the writer's secret weapon to know, secretly at least, that one character is truly the pro- protagonist. And only that one character has to, and, and, and it's also the, helps define who that protagonist is, is the one character who fits one of those definitions. So we only need one character, we only need one um, protagonist who either in this, in the case of a comedic structure, they overcome a, by definition, and again, Aristotle's definition, not mine, uh, they overcome a flaw, they change, and in this case, they usually get a happy ending or a tragedy where the protagonist fails to overcome a flaw, fails to change, and usually gets a sad ending. Um, all the other characters may not fit that pattern at all. You may have people who don't change and are happy, uh, and, and you may have characters who do change and, uh, and are miserable, but you need the one character uh, to fit that pattern for us to ultimately, ultimately the story is still satisfying. I think I went a little off topic there, Brock. Um, <laughs> That's okay. <laughs> it gets into a bunch of stuff. No okay. Yeah, I just got, um, I don't usually do the book interviews. We usually do the films. Um, so feel free to go in any, any tangent. Okay. Um, and yeah, feel um, free to ask me to clarify anything if I'm going into it. There's okay. a lot of, you know, I tend to, I, I often can talk a million miles a minute. You know, and and there's a lot of stuff to cover, so feel you know feel free to if I go yeah need to clarify anything, please let me know. No problem, no problem. Um, so you do mention a lot. I love all your examples um, throughout the book, and especially the charts at the end. They really break down. Um, Thank you. You know, I'm how, very proud of how that. I'm very proud of how those came out. That's I think it's super helpful for people to see a selection of you know of contemporary and older films and genres. Right. I try to get every single genre. Right. Yeah, because you know, like, you know, a reader will find, like, maybe with their favorite movie or one of their top ten movies mm-hmm. in the back, and they can relate that to whatever they're working on. Um, mm-hmm. But of all those mentioned, you know, you've got comedies, tragedies, you've also got uh, nonlinear screenplays like Pulp Fiction. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, some that stick out to me, like Pulp Fiction, Chinatown, Annie Hall, Social Network, of all the research and screenplays you've read, movies you've watched, have you ever like come across? Have you come across like what you would define as like a perfect screenplay, like a perfect example um, of not only your methods but just everything you know combined into one? I don't think I could single out one. You know, I I um, I see it all the time where I'm impressed, and it's. And it's not so much the whole nutshell sometimes as 
you know, for example, a movie that's not in the book that I, I love to talk about, and it kind of, I guess it kind of, timing-wise, it didn't make the book, but, uh, you know, Flight with Denzel Washington. Uh-huh. Um, and, and that was a movie that I, I hadn't bothered, I hadn't bothered to see for a long time. It, it was sounded kind of, it was sort of overshadowed by the whole plane flying upside down thing. And I finally right. got around to seeing it. And, and I didn't know, and I had no idea where it was going, you know, anything other than the plane flying up down, upside down part of it. And right when we start to, we're getting towards the end of the second act, we're, and we're starting to slide into hell, as I, as I call it, and also known as the crisis. I suddenly kind of got it and, and story structure-wise, it, where he's about, you know, he's a, he's facing the hearing and it's the one time in his life that, well, or the time in his life that a lot, that he needs to lie more than he ever has. Mm-hmm. And you can, and it's the easiest lie. They make it so easy for him. It is the easiest lie in the world for him to make. Um, nobody's going to be, no one living is going to be hurt by this. Only the memory of this woman who was killed, who they're putting the, the putting the blame on. Um, and you can see it in his wonderful performance in his face that he can, he cannot do it. He, this is the, he's been lying his whole life. Don't tell me how to lie about my drinking. I know how to, I've been lying about my drinking for, for years. Um, and he can't do it. And, and you anticipate, so, me being a structure person, I'm immediately identifying, oh my gosh, this is the climatic choice. He's going to tell the truth at the worst possible time. Um, and, uh, and somebody who's not a structure person, uh, uh, but knows or has a, watches movies, has a gut sense, probably also anticipate, I mean, that's part of his performance. You're anticipating that the, 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 the conflict within him that he cannot, you know, you, if, if it was a, surprised that he couldn't lie that wouldn't work as much we're, we're anticipating the fact that oh my god we're identifying god you gotta lie but oh no you can't and um uh and i find it one of the most satisfying third acts of a contemporary movie and just and then and even like the final step and he's in prison he's in prison but he's the happiest we've ever seen him um you know he's got this huge grin on his face his son has come, come to visit him they bond for the first time. His son's writing a story, you know, a, a, a writing an essay about his hero, his dad, who was in prison because of the thing. Um, so it's, I find it uh, just a kind of, yet again, just another great example of how structure can work for you. And it's, the ending is surprising. You know, it doesn't mean it, it doesn't mean we're doing anything by the numbers or anything. Even though you anticipate that moment before, you never saw that coming before we really get to the third act. Um, and it's not at all a conventional, what we would think is a, a conventional um, comedy structure of the character being better off. He's in prison, for God's sakes, but he has this relaxed nature and this, you know, clearly kind of the happiness he's been with himself the whole time. Um, uh, and I feel like I may, again may have gone off topic a little bit, or, or, or <laughs> I don't know if I if I if I completely answered your question is to your satisfaction but that that strikes me just as an example i you know of that i see that all the time where um it is a movie can be surprisingly satisfying and and unexpected even though they follow the structural rules okay uh so so it's hard for me to pick one i think that was the original question i think that's hard for me to pick one that was kind of a you know just kind of top of my head example of of a recent movie that worked 
really well using such structure. Yeah, that's a great example. I like this, not in the book, too, so it's something a little bit extra and still encourages people to, you know, buy the book and everything. Mm-hmm. Um, let's see. So what is, like, let's say someone's, you know, about to either read your book or um, starting reading it and they've got a script, either they're, you know, page one outline or they've already written it and they're looking at the second draft. What's the first kind of few things they can, you know, use to either see if, if they are, have just written a situation um, or what's something they can do to go ahead and start fixing that problem? Just one or two steps in the in the right direction. So, and I think it was not 100% clear. You're saying, like, is this someone who I'm consulting with or, or, or someone who started reading my, you, you said, I think, someone who started reading my book, but they, yeah. it can, what, it what, kind of, it would kind of be more of a consulting question, but based on the information no. in the book, yeah. Like what, and they've already, and so the, the sort of theoretical examples, they maybe have done a draft, so what's the best way I would, or how I would kind of work with them to bring it from situation to story? Is that right? Am I understanding kind of right? Yeah, and, and is there also a way for them to determine, like, without having without having someone else read it, whether or not it is a story or a situation, like personally, so? Mm-hmm. Um, well, so generally, well, I'll just say I, Always when people inquire or anything uh, about when they should come, should it be after they finish a draft, should it be, I'm always sooner is better than later. It is much harder to fix, and it's just more time-consuming and painful (laughs) to fix stories once you've written 120 pages. Um, Mm -hmm. uh, It's not at all impossible, Um, not at all, but it's, you you know, I like to work I, I encourage people to, you know, meet with me just to talk story. Um, that I, it's, it's more, um, time and money efficient, um, for us to sit and talk. And I can, uh, you can tell me the story or tell me what you think is the story. And I can pretty quickly identify what's working and what's not. Um, and, and, and what I'm, and I'm using in essence the nutshell technique. I'm identifying, um, you know, I have the advantage of, because I did invent it and put it down on paper, I know it really well. And, and so um, uh, even if uh, when people try to self-identify uh, with their own stories, uh, there, there are just a lot of puzzle pitfalls that you can fall into. So, um, so generally, uh, I prefer actually not to, if possible, to not read the script, but to, to meet with someone to discuss to, to help help them hash hash it out and um, uh, or to so that they can sort of check to see what's working and not working. Um, now, certainly there are plenty of people who have already written scripts, um, but I'm going to be working kind of the same way with the, the finished script. Um, I'll be talking the same kind of story element. We'll also though we get kind of almost distracted by people want feedback at the page level. That's the danger of once you have a 120 page script. You, you right. know, you're, 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 um, asking for feedback on the dialogue and the formatting and, the, and all um, these things. And, and I provide that feedback, but a lot of it is on, can, in a lot of cases, all that feedback and markup I do of your script is almost rendered obsolete if you're going to listen to the story advice because I may be suggesting rewriting massive amounts of it. You know, but once you've already gotten on the page, you want the feedback of what, you know, how, how that's working. So it, 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 it's kind of a distracting, um, uh, piece of it. 
that said, the many people I work with, and you know, um, and I, I guess I, I typically tend tell people to sort of try to step try to, to try to work on both levels because that you know here I've got the marked up script and but please don't go home and just start copy editing. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, try to sit back and talk about the story issues that we talked about and how you need to look at restructuring this this and you know look at re-identifying the flaw and you know those story elements um see if you can you know um sit back from um diving into the getting too distracted at the page level because that's that's you can't fix you can't fix those at the same time you know we're gonna have to fix one and then the other and it just makes a whole lot more sense to you know do a story pass at least um uh, and then go back and see if my you know page markups are even relevant Okay. Um, I've just got two or three more for you. I want to be respectful of your time. Um, yeah, yeah. Let's see. Okay. I'm happy to talk as long as we need to. Okay. Um, one thing I don't want to skip over, can you just kind of comment on the Hamlet quote at the beginning and how it relates to the title? Um, honestly, it's only because it's, it's the first instance or that is kind of known of the phrase in a nutshell that we so... Um, you know, it's such, and that's where the natural techniques come, the title comes from. Um, that's such a, you know, like so many, so many expressions we have come from, shockingly, sometimes from, uh, that we take for granted come from Shakespeare. Um, and I think it's also an interesting, yeah, and it kind of, the whole metaphor of a natural in, in that we've become so used to it like other phrases of speech that we get from Shakespeare, we don't even think about the metaphor of it. And it is kind of, you know, it's kind of a beautiful quote when you think of it, of that, the, you know, I could be bounded in a nutshell and count myself as a king of infant space. Just, you know, despite being somehow inside something as tiny as a nutshell, the world could be, is intimate if you're in the right mindset. We can put, every, we can fit everything into um, a very small, place if we want to that ultimately what it boils down to you know if we distill things down to the most essential elements they can fit inside the nutshell it's interesting so i read i read it and i read i read the book and i went back and reread the part of the beginning and it seemed like for some reason when i read the quote the second time it just reminded me of like you have uh you know as far as being commercial success stories need to follow a certain act structure um, but you really you can do anything within that element. It's kind of how I read it the second time. Like you have all this potential within this, in the in the plots and in the designs that you kind of come up with in the nutshell technique. The nutshell was like because he says uh, infinite space within the nutshell. I was thinking that when you first when I first thought of like said field structure when I was in probably high school, I thought it very limited. You know, like you only have to mm. you have to write it a certain way. Mm. Um, but but on the second very glance. Um, even though you're hitting those exact pivotal points, I mean, look how many movies are made and look how many are great and look how many new ones come out that are completely blown away, even if they do follow the exact structure, um, like you just said, mm-hmm. quite. Um, so I kind of found like even though you're um, constricted by following this perfect structure, you have you know infinite creativity within that realm. That's mm-hmm. kind of how I took it the second time. I, I, I think you said it better than I could have. I- <laughs> I don't disagree at all. That's that is that is the goal of good, yeah, of 
that's ultimately the goal of any good structure in technique. The idea is that it frees your creativity. Right. You know, it's a little bit of restraint. And it's a little bit of, of structure of rules um, that allow us to kind of then find those infinite possibilities. You know, that surprising ending. Um, uh, the, the structure actually, the the constriction of the little bit of constriction actually helps for whatever reason our brain go in that direction. So I absolutely mm-hmm. agree with what you say. Yeah. That's why I appreciated the ending, the charts so much, because they really can, you know, you can see some of that just with, uh, is that some of the work that you started with? Like you said, when you started researching, were those, like some of those initial notes, did those lead to the actual charts in the end? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. You know, this is 30 movies. I've got hundreds of crazy notes and notebooks. <laughs> all, you know, every, you know, for years, I showed every single movie. I saw, and actually, I advise my students and clients to do the same thing. That it's, you know, it's one thing for me to show you how lovely and how, you know, it lays out so beautifully, perfectly. In the case of Twitsy and, you know, 29 other movies, it's another thing to make it work for your own story. And another thing to start realizing that it's all around you. Um, so I still bring a notebook to the movies. I still not show every movie I see and I, and, and tell my, my students and clients to do the same. Um, yeah, it's, it's, so I've got files and files of them. That Those are just kind of the ones that end up, you know, just by you know, having page count restrictions um, uh, picking. But yeah, some of these notes, that, you know, some of the, um, the, the uh, essences of what ended up in charts were, are from years ago from the research, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, is there anything that you would ask of like our our audience, like a, a immediate call to action or something they can change tomorrow in their writing habits? This is this is attributed to Aristotle, although it's a little unclear that he actually said this. That a great ending is inevitable yet unexpected, mm-hmm. um, and uh, and that's. That's a pretty tall order, but that is our goal as writers, is to find an ending that is, un- that is inevitable yet unexpected. Um, and uh, unexpected. Um, oh, and when they say ending, they actually mean climax. Um, so the climax should be inevitable yet unex- unexpected. So, for example, and, and this is a place uh, that, that I, a huge percentage of, of writers could improve on on this particular story element because it's not easy to find inevitable yet unexpected. Um, and so very often people, what happens more typically is that we, uh, with screenwriters is that it's, um, expected. It's not surprising, you know, that they'll, that for some reason, um, the characters now maybe going to go for it. Um, but it's not at all unexpected. That option of going for it was always on the table. Um, to begin with, so it's we're not even we're we it's not at all unexpected. So um, my advice to writers in trying to find that inevitable yet unexpected ending right before the climax, the um, characters typically at their uh, at the end of the second act they're at their crisis, which is their their lowest point, and they're going to have. Um, uh, you want to make sure that they're between a rock and a hard place. Um, sometimes writers inadvertently put them between a rock and a soft place, and then we're gonna, you know, we're gonna see that 
easy answer, even if they don't take it. Um, so you want to make sure that they're between a rock and a hard place. Now, at the beginning of Act 3 is the climatic choice. And you, at the heart of the climax is a choice that the protagonist is making. So I ask, uh, what choice are they going to make? Are they going to make, are they going to choose rock? Are they going to choose hard place? No. If it's a good uh, screenplay, they're going to choose banana. Right. <laughs> uh, which is my code word to my writers of, of finding that inevitable yet unexpected choice. It's not a rock. It's not a hard place. It's not even the same family. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, I think that might have been a longer answer than you wanted for a simple call to action. Um, but <laughs> rock, hard place, banana. Uh, and is a, is a, just a real sort of simple code words, uh, uh, that help a lot of writers to find that inevitable, again, unexpected ending. Thank you so much for tuning into the show. Before you leave, don't forget to sign up for the newsletter to get your free download of the ebook, How Hollywood Screenwriters Annihilate Writer's Block which includes advice from writers such as Aaron Sorkin, William Monahan, and Carrie Fukunaga. The newsletter will also keep you up to date on future episodes, new articles, and more. Sign up at brockswinson.com, B-R-O-C-K-S-W-I-N-S-O-N.com.